the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, from the rooftop of the Rockies, it's Backbone Radio with Matt Dunn. Welcome. It's Hour 3 of Backbone Radio. Matt Dunn here. and We've got the amazing Blake, rock and roll man, behind the glass back there. We are in the spirit of the season, and I am just back from vacation, vacaciones. Spent a little time in Hawaii, went to Maui in particular, and I was listening to Mike Boyle, the food show guy, and yesterday, and he talks about travels and getting on airplanes and various kinds of things, and I thought, what if once in a while we just, you know, did something completely different? <laughs> and I talked a bit about breathing and a bit about contemplative Christian prayer and about the intersection of Zen Buddhism, of sitting, of sitting still, of finding the still point with the Christian tradition. I have a very strong opinion that, for what it's worth, Okay, we lead lives in the modern world, modern America, that are very desk-bound, very cubicle-bound. We live in cities, most of us. We are very detached from nature, from the cycles of nature, even from the seasons in some ways, from the sky, the sun, the moon, trees, forests, dirt, soil. And... um our lives tend to center around electronic media, mediums. Screens are everywhere. Screens are predominant in our culture. Words on screens. Images on screens. And as we head into, yes, the 2024 election cycle, I mean, the country's going to go mad. The country's going to go nuts. There's going to be intense rhetoric <laughs> language, abuse of the language all over the map. And we are all going to be caught in the vortex here. Okay, we it's, it's going to be, if you ever turn on a screen in these next 11 months, it's going to be a stressful experience for you. Or maybe even listen to a radio. Listen to some guy bloviating on the radio. You might find it stressful in some ways. And I do think we need some antidotes to a lot of this, uh, to the way we live now. And we need to find ways to make it through all of this with the right level of, of detachment, yes, but yet the right level of commitment, the right level of engagement, the right level of being in the fight and having natural concerns and cares for our community, for our country, for our society, for our family, for our loved ones. And so <clears throat> we are heading into the maelstrom. And I think there is something to be said for the concept of mindfulness. And you hear this used a lot, the mindfulness term. 
it's maybe a little bit of a cliche at this point. But if you start looking into where did this term mindfulness come from, I submit to you it came from the Satipatthana Sutta written by the Buddha, or at least transcribed about the Buddha having said so-and-so. It was memorized probably and passed on in oral tradition for some hundreds of years before it was actually written down in, uh, in sutta form, sutra form. And the, the mindfulness concept is kind of a very simple one, but it's about being present in the present moment and being aware in the present moment and letting things sort of clear out, letting some of the clouds and some of the stuff that is not real clear out of your mind. What's going to be happening to us is we're going to end up having so much inserted into our minds in these next 11 months. Those of us who follow this stuff, but even those of us like what Vivek Ramaswamy was just saying, passive follower of media. Oh, man, you're going to have so much bogus stuff swimming around in your brain that you wonder what the effect of all that is upon us. And I do think our desk-bound culture, our screen-based culture, our detachment from nature that is so, so, um, so prevalent right now in our civilization that it's driving people mad. It's driving people nuts. And do you ever feel like that? I mean, you look around, you survey the scene, and you seem to see a lot of people who are kind of only tenuously attached to what you might say is reality. And maybe people get a little bit moody. Maybe people get a little bit neurotic because they've got so much floating around in their brains and they're just kind of sitting there looking at a screen and they're processing information. And so much of this information is just not true. It's just not real. It is manufactured material designed to influence your mind and your thinking so as to support the individuals who happen to be presently in power the people who are powerful use the media and use the screens and use the words to try to increase their power and get hold over your mind. And you end up having these spinning circles, these spinning cycles in your brain all the time. And it's hard to know, like, what's true and what's what and, uh, well, you know, and it kind of makes people crazy. It kind of makes people go a little bit nuts. And you know what I'm talking about. How can you break that cycle? How can you step out of that cycle? How can you at least, you know, tap some restraints into that system and maybe set yourself free, maybe set your mind free? And I don't know. I was just having these thoughts. You know, you go off to Hawaii, and it's a, it's a cycle breaker, a circuit breaker. And, yeah, you know, we had all this great fun with the kids, four little kids, and we went surfing and snorkeling and swimming and a lot of beach time. Went up to the top of a volcano, 10,000 feet over there, that Haleakala. Glad it didn't blow when we happened to be there. 400 years ago, I guess, is when it last blew. But ideal world, the way I see it, you would combine a lot of intense action, bodily movement, movement. We are, we are built to move. We are built to act. But yet at some point, find a still point. Maybe once a day, find a still point. Find a place where it all sort of, sort of stops 
even though, of course, it never stops. It never, you, you never can stop it. Things are always in flow and always in motion and always happening. But maybe you can get to that point where things just seem a little different or where you, t- you take a break from it. And some of that comes from, I think, the study of sitting and the study of breathing. I spent a lot of time uh, over in Asia in my youth, in my giddy, gaudy youth, Korea, Japan. And I learned a few things. I, you know, I happened to live next to this Zen monastery in Korea. And I would uh, show up and, you know, check out what are these Buddhists doing? What is all this weird frog-like chanting I'm hearing waft through the air and into my window at strange hours of the morning <laughs> and evening? And I sort of got a little, some tutorials and these people just, they just sit there and they breathe and they chant. Korea is a very Christian country, by the way. I think Buddhism is kind of on the wane in Korea. Very interesting. But sitting there, stopping and just breathing. What if, what if there's something to that, to boil down all the chaos of our lives to moments of just breathing and sitting in a certain posture and doing the breathing and not like breathing from your nose or your neck or your upper body, but breathing from the core, from the center, from the base, from the belly. Professionally speaking, practicing dentistry, we do study the airway a lot. We study breathing a lot and sleeping a lot. And better airways at night, you know, are better for overall health. And there are sometimes some things we can do to be helpful in that category. But I do think overall, physiologically, if you have a little bit more of a habit of core breathing, of belly breathing, not just that upper neck breathing, it does better for you physically. It does better for you psychologically, spiritually, whatever you want to call it. And there's some old Christian traditions that used to be practiced. They used to study this stuff, the desert fathers and so forth. And let me uh, me just unfurl some of these thoughts and see if they might be useful at all. On your radio, smartphone, or smart speaker, News Talk 710 KNUS. Little bluesy Christmas from Eric Clapton. This album came out a few years ago, and it's pretty darn good Christmas blues. From the Clapton man, the guy who was not into that whole COVID thing. Took a lot of courage for Clapton to speak up. Van Morrison, another guy with courage out there. Yeah, good old Eric. When I was in Hawaii, I saw I saw a few Clapton t-shirts. I guess he's got... A pretty good following still going for this guy. But it's a bluesy Christmas, not a blue Christmas. That's the Elvis one. But hey, we're talking about just breathing. Can you boil it all down to just breathing? Maybe at one point of a day, find a still point of a day, and just let go of all this nonsense that you get inserted into your head by the power people who want to control those thoughts of yours. Can you do that? 
had a text to studio from Alexa talking about an individual named uh, Gary Brecka, who talks about how deep breathing is one of the most important things we should focus on, and I agree with that. And so say, yes, your host, Don, and for many a year, this is one of my little secrets, you know, if you can find a way to sit on a cushion and practice contemplative prayer, yes, in the traditions of people like uh, the Desert Fathers, the early Christians, Thomas Keating is a more recent practitioner of it, St. John of the Cross, the Trappist monks, Thomas Merton. Of course, I'm a Protestant kid from Colorado, Presbyterian. But it used to be a more bodily faith Christianity used to be. And I do feel like now it's a little bit more in our heads. It's like thoughts in our heads. And it's, I feel like we have a yearning to a lot of people in the spiritual space. And the spiritual world's kind of a bogus word, but you know what I mean. To get more bodily with it. To get some sort of a physical discipline with it. What if you spread out a towel on that beach as I was doing? And you find a way to breathe. Breathe to 108. Count to 108. 108 breaths. Do it. And if you can do that, then do another 108 if you have the time. Sit there in a certain posture. You can find all kinds of ways to study the posture. And this is where the Zen Buddhists, I do think, had something, is that a certain kind of posture helps contribute to the effect of, of, of the healthiness of the breathing and helps break that cycle of the spinning thoughts, the spinning unresolved thoughts. You see them as clouds, that they're floating around in your head. And what if you just let them gently float on out? And if they come back through the other side, just, well, just let them float on out again. So you have five clouds, ten clouds, a thousand clouds. So you have the 10,000 things floating around in your head. And after you do your first 20, your first 30, as that Thomas Keating says, well, all you're doing is wool gathering for the first, for the first 10, 20 minutes of your sitting there. Catholic, by the way, Keating, Catholic priest. You're just wool gathered. But at some point, you keep at it, you keep at it, you develop these skills, and pretty soon, you realize those clouds have kind of gone out. And it can open up some space and open up some freedom and open up some mindfulness potential where maybe you can, you can break through all this stuff that we're surrounded by. Make a little progress, maybe. Or at least the world seems very different. It can be different every time. It's very hard to even get to 10 when you first start this kind of thing. It's very hard to even get to 20. But if you start getting that skill to get to 108 before and after, it does seem like you're inhabiting an almost different place, a different space. And there's something to all of this. And you can open up. Do you want to try to pursue like an emptiness? uh, Kind of just just let, let a little clarity and no clouds in there? Do you want to maybe get some Bible verses in there and meditate on some of those? Think those through a little bit. All kinds of options there, but I, I think I think it's ever more important that this kind of thing could be worked in and get away from the words, the words like Hamlet, you know, words, words, words. And the Zen people are very good at seeing the meaninglessness of words and understand the political manipulation of words that are in our minds. And you start looking into these words and looking beneath these words, and what are they really? And I, here I am using all these words to describe this, and I wish I didn't have to use words, but it's how we communicate. We try to use the most minimum amount of words possible. We try to be as brief as possible, the fewest words 
to get the job done, right? You have to make some concession to it, but let them let them unscramble and let the breathing happen. And we're going to be needing that, those of us who follow the political scene, those of us who, you know, work from a seated position, the practice of dentistry. Another thing about the city is you can, if you can do some posture management, some posture discipline, find a way to get those shoulders straight, get that back straight, that somehow helps with the breathing, ladies and gentlemen. And I threw a bunch of this out last night in a little bit different context, in a little bit different way. But some folks to look into, if this at all is intriguing, Thomas Keating, some of his books on contemplative prayer, The Desert Fathers, The Sayings of the Desert Fathers, St. John of the Cross, you can study the Trappist monks, and Thomas Merton got a great body of work there. And some of the Zen Buddhists, uh, Zen training from a guy named Sekida, S-E-K-I-D-A. And the all-time best book in the Zen Buddhist world that, that I've ever found is called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Shunryu Suzuki, S-H-U-N-R-Y-U. And apparently that was Steve Jobs, the Apple guy's all-time favorite book which is interesting, that he was deeply influenced by good old Shunryu. And I might do more on this. I have a few more thoughts on this as this goes on, but I wanted to say a big hello to Charlene checking in from Arkansas. And Charlene, Hi thanks there. for hanging on a minute. Welcome aboard. How are you? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that you got a great vacation. And, you know, you really should do a screenplay, turn into a movie, Matt's Hawaiian vacation because it sounds like you had some adventures. <laughs> oh yeah, we did it all, and I had a yeah. My my two year old. Did you just send a, a text in that uh, yes, he, he got car sick once and he got uh, seasick once? Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so and and you talked about him the same one getting sick over and over, and I thought, oh, I hope it. He oh no, that, that was just a brief interlude. Everyone was right in there in action. Okay. Well, I thought the greatest book on Zen was Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Persig wrote that one, P-A-R-S-I-G, which I never have read that book. Oh, it's pretty good. It helps you think the way you're talking. You know, it helps you think that way in that that vein. Well, it's a total uh, classic. I'm impressed you've read that, Charlene. Oh, listen, there isn't anything probably (laughs) I haven't read. I mean, I've read all the classics I've had. I've read all the bestsellers for the last 40 years. Well, it shows with your level of why. information and what you bring to the conversation. I count me not surprised, Charlene. <laughs> well, okay. And also, I'm not surprised that you're a Presbyterian either because uh, I'm a Presbyterian, but um, I knew it. I can't quite grasp. I mean, I can't get my head around and. And so I like it, but I do like the fact that they are uh, uh, post-millennial or amillennial, which, you know, I'm not a pre-millennial dispensationalist by any means, John Darby Nelson. And that uh, that line of thinking that came into being in the 18th century, which most evangelical Christians are that now, which is what's allowing what's going on in Palestine to occur because we're they're so behind it. They're like, what, whatever Israel wants to do, they can do, which, you know, I'm not a believer in that. But anyway, so I don't want to get into religion too sure. much. But, sure. but what you, you were talking about, uh, about um, what they show us in the media, it's all manufactured and amplified. 
and it's I think it's done to demoralize us because yes uh, and actually can you can you hold through a break Charlene Um, somehow we were doing enough preamble there and here you are getting to the nugget and here's Bing Crosby the outro music but hang on if you would just briefly momentarily okay Um, the elite high IQ all reading all knowing Charlene stay close for one second and we'll be right back on Backbone Radio Listen to podcast of Backbone Radio with Matt Dunn at 710knus.com. Yeah, all we're doing is breathing. Just breathe. What song was that? Who did that big song back, what, 10, 15 years ago? David Gilmore. David Gilmore. I thought it was like some country female artist. Oh, about breathe. Who? Breathe. Breathe. Oh, breathe. Yeah, not just. Okay. I added the just, just on there. The one thing I didn't mention, as we're talking to Charlene, by the way, is that. So I'm sitting there on the beach in Maui. I've got my towel out and I'm in my perfect posture. I'm a stickler for posture, as you know. My kids know. And. There's always the 10,000 things afflicting you. You know, you can get to some paradise, some tropical paradise, and so you're sitting there, sound of the waves. (laughs) I've got my pasty mineral white sunscreen on. But anyway, there's all these, like, bugs. I found this shady spot, right? All these bugs are, like, crawling on you, landing on you. And I was like, you know, I could sit here and swat bugs the whole time, or I can just let the bugs do their thing. And they weren't, like, threatening vicious, harmful bugs. And so I was like trying to train myself to breathe through it, you know, breathe through it. Just let, you know, the bug's going to crawl on your arm, bug's going to, you know, crawl on your face, just, and it, it bothers you. Your instinct is to like start slapping the things, right? But maybe there's some lesson in discipline there, right? You're always going to have discomforts and you're always going to have ailments. So you're always going to have these imperfections. There's always going to be these 10,000 things that you have to manage and deal with, even if you're in like some tropical paradise, you can't escape them. You can't escape the 10,000 things. And that's a big Zen point that they like to make. And if you can learn to breathe through them, learn to work your way through them, some kind of a discipline comes out of that. Sometime, some kind of a platform comes out of that. And I think it's, it's at least something to... Some kind of Pearl Jam comes out of that? Pearl Jam, yeah. What, what do you mean? Well, that's who, uh, I don't know if that was the Just Breathe song that you're talking about. Oh, yeah, he did a song about breathing. See, yeah, the, the grunge people are all over this. They're Every into breath this. breath you take. Yeah. Oh, that's Sting. Yeah. <laughs> we go through all the breaths. There's a whole breathe. literature of rock and roll songs about breathing. See? So it's not just me around here making a big point. It's like a, it's like a thing out there. Because, you know, people breathe. And if you can boil it all down to just breathing, maybe in some little interval of a day, that will get you through to November 2024. And maybe you'll even keep doing it afterwards. <laughs> maybe not. But if you can get to 108, you're getting somewhere, ladies and gentlemen. And then start back at 1 again and get up to 108. Why not? Back to Charlene action. And you were just talking about something about following the money or something like that uh, with our political people. Oh, what are you I'm talking about how 
how um, the information we're getting. You know, Alex Jones called it the information wars, info wars. That's what we're living through. And they manufacture and amplify information to target us to think a certain way and, you know, to ultimately to be obedient. That's all our media is, frankly. And if you become a threat exactly. to the regime, they will censor you and shut you up and silence you. It's why they don't want Elon Musk allowing free speech yeah, on Twitter, censor, right? They censor what they don't want you to hear, and then they'll push what they want you to hear. So anything that's being pushed, like right now, they're pushing that uh, sex in the Senate thing. They're pushing that image all over the media. And that's intended to demoralize. Like, what's this world coming to? You know, that's what we think when we see things like that. And then... Um, and but we just have to realize that it, it causes us to think our country is totally perverted, but it's not. It's just the people in charge that are pushing those images to us, and and it, with the intent to demoralize us and think there's no hope in in saving our country. But I, I think all that uh, imagery that's being promoted has the opposite effect that it. It wants us to seek good and look for good and be good and do good. And and so, you know, I think the people that they can't mold, like Elon Musk, is the ones they try to destroy. The ones they can mold, like Ken Buck and Nikki Haley, yes. they, they leave them alone, you know. And so... Um, There are some folks who just say no to the gulag. Donald Trump is the exemplar of that. Elon Musk becoming another exemplar. Tucker Carlson, another one. You know, he had a great, Elon Musk had a great uh, uh, meme about uh, Disney. There's nothing on Disney that anybody wants to watch anymore, you know. (laughs) Woke Disney. And so they can just go ahead and lose money on every movie they make these days, like a lot of money. Exactly. And so if we can just not feed those beasts, which are Disney and uh, Microsoft and Amazon and uh, Bill Gates and, you know, that whole cabal, if we can not feed that beast, we might can starve that beast. But we're so intertwined in it. It's 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 hard to break out of it. But, it's hard to know, break out, like Coca Cola and these other companies. They're they're so they're so integrated into the daily lives of the American people, and then they start you know having their political agendas, which are not in the interest of the American people, but they know they can do whatever they want because people are going to still buy the Coca Cola, right? Um, yeah, right. But you know, I mean, maybe Disney at least is they've had such a bad year, man. <laughs> Right, um, and, so, and, I, and you know they are like I, I Bud Light had a bad year. Yeah, and here they have to go after big bucks with Peyton Manning to get them back into the pub. See, they care about the public's graces. They care about being in the public's good graces, which is a good sign. Is there a new Bud Light ad with Peyton Manning in it? Is that what well, you're saying? I, I heard there's some new yeah, Bud Light he, ad that's he's on board with Bud Light. He's going to be one of their spokesmen. Oh, man, I bet they had to pay him so much money to get him to do that. Yeah. Yes. And, and so so they, you know, they, they have, and, and now Disney is like showing pictures of old man Disney when they're promoting it. They're saying, he had a vision for the world and for the little kids. They're trying to get into that old-fashioned stuff to get us back on board. So, I'm, you know, I'm glad that uh, they're paying attention to us. And so our job is to have abounding hope in the face of evil and hopelessness. 
and we have to continue with that. But I, in answer to, I, I'm sorry, I'm taking up too much of your time. But in answer to one of your other questions, I'm like Jack. I just go on and on until you stop. Me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, it's really been too long that. since we chatted, so I'm glad that we get to have a little unfurling here. But you know, when you said, uh, "Is there no room for shame for some of these people?" There is no room for shame, but uh, for the Ken Bucks and the Nikki Haley's and the Mike Pence's. But you know what? The thing is, it's not they're just that they're being offered goodies. I think the squeeze is being put on them. Like we, we're going to bring you down unless you go along with the with the program. That's and so we just what you wonder. That like, that's why would Pence do this? Go out there and run for the presidency? And be a backstabber against Trump, the guy who who allowed Pence to be the vice president, who put Pence on the map after rescuing him yeah. from the most boring, dull, political averageness life he was leading in Indiana. And he and he gets it. He's going to go backstab Trump and he's going to really get somewhere. And he gets like to three percent in the polls, just ridiculed, despised and loathed by the voters. And so he goes down in absolute epic flames and tail between his legs. I mean, it's got to like, on some level, it's got to affect his his self-respect as a human being to to just have such a bad prep. There's no room for self-respect there because he was... The squeeze was put on him. But can well, I ask you Well, you wonder, I mean, why does he do it? That's the, What is the motivation here to do that? Because, I mean, it's not like he ever speaks from a core conviction. Because he's scripted and phony. Everything the man utters is phony as hell. Yeah. He's, he's it's not, none of it's he's genuine. Supposed, he's supposed to make it believable. You know, he's supposed to so, make it believable well, that he really thinks Trump is awful so either and they're getting paid or they're getting blackmailed or something i mean that's that's yeah that's, yeah that's what i think but here let me ask you what happened to this jeff Rowe? he resigned now why why is that his name he was head of yeah the never back roe down yeah the desantis super pack never back down he was kind of at least the most prominent guy in that from the beginning but the washington post issued a pretty scathing um article about What's really going on in the DeSantis campaign? And talking about all of the people are just hating on each other, and there's this massive conflicts, and nobody's getting along, and um, I mean they're all backstabbing one another within the DeSantis campaign, and yeah, he and he resigned the next day after that came out. So it took the Washington Post to get him to resign. Yeah, but well, uh, he was probably ready to get out. You know what I mean? Well, just well, a disaster. Anyway, so now we just. Yeah, so now all that, that needs to get left is Nikki Haley. But you know what? Nikki Haley, she was in charge of the, you know, uh, secretary to the UN, right? And um, uh, Again, Trump gave her this great perch in the Trump administration. She said, I'd never run yeah, against yeah. Donald Trump. And now she's doing it. I mean. Right. But, you know, she was the one that in charge of those white helmets and the chemical attack. And she was going to bomb Syria. And Trump said no. And then she resigned from the UN. So she's one of them. She and uh, oh, Mike Pompeo. Totally. They're not good guys. No, okay, bad. So bad. So you're you're a no on Nikki VP, the juggernaut. You're a no. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a hell no. Never Nikki. 
Backbone Radio with Matt Dunn on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. That silent night, Dwight there, that is the all-time greatest, most genius version of that song, if you want my opinion. We've been playing that ever since the beginning of Backbone Radio, when we get close to Christmas, as our sacred song, and I hope you have had a very sacred Sunday, and you continue to have a sacred Christmas season. It's getting close, and my little kids are getting pretty excited. (laughs) We keep talking about it. They keep asking, wait, how many days away is Christmas? And I just love to be a part of that and get to be the dad in that situation. And yes, our two-year-old, he's met Santa twice this season. Once, Santa came to the neighborhood. We did the hayride. Santa was there. A little two-year-old. That was very cool. And then we went to that Georgetown Loop train, and Santa was on the train. My goodness. Santa keeps showing up everywhere, and I am a believer. Oh, I believe. Oh, I do. And yeah, I was I was joking last night about the, the two-year-old. When we, we, we got to Hawaii, I had the seven-hour plane flight, and then we got to the hotel. We pulled in. And the little guy was so great and so tough. I picked him up out of his baby seat in the rental minivan, and he just promptly threw up all over me. <laughs> I guess he got a little car sick. You know, you add up a seven-hour plane ride and then a, a nice long car ride. And the bellhop was standing there. The bellhop walked up to greet us, you know, and and the, the two-year-old just let it loose. All, and I said, you have a restroom nearby. I might just pop in there real quick. And uh, anyway, it was very cute. And then the next day, we were on a really rocky boat out to do some snorkeling, and the the boat's just bobbing. And I was like, oh, boy, that can't go over well with a two-year-old, you know. And sure enough, I looked over at him. (laughs) His eyes were starting to bulge, and I could tell something was good. So I just – I did a dad action maneuver, and I went over to where he lifted him up, and I headed straight for this uh, this sort of – trash can that I saw sitting there and I will say I got there just in time and I saved some uh, fellow passengers some uh, some travail that wouldn't have been great but uh, yeah sometimes you gotta pat dads on the back when they do uh, an immediate dad action superhero maneuver and I don't think those folks ever knew what they just barely missed out upon <laughs> anyway 
But just breathing, yeah, just sitting there, just breathing, finding that still point. By the way, there's a book called The Still Point by that Ryan Holiday, which I take a little credit for because I interviewed Ryan Holiday. He writes these books about stoicism and things like that. We've had some good chats over the years, and um, we were talking off air once, and I was giving him some some advice about uh, some stillness and some of this that uh, the Zen, Buddhist, uh, Christian, contemplative traditions and by gosh, his next book was about those themes. And I don't know. He Should I have been put in the credits? No, no, no. But, you know, we had a great conversation about that. And um, so that there's a book out there called The Still Point, which I have not read because I do feel like I'm a little bit uh, more evolved um, on some of these topics. But I've read some of his other stuff. This is really quite good and uh, quite useful on uh, Aurelius and the Stoics and all of that. At any rate, and by the way, he studied under, um, oh, who's the guy that wrote uh, The 48 Laws of Power and uh, all those books? And I've interviewed him, too, around here, but I just can't pull his pull his name out right now, but a very, very interesting writer. But uh, let's, let's uh, again, as we wish you all, just the best and merriest of Christmas, just in case I'm not in on the 24th. I don't know if I'll be in on the 23rd on the Saturday. Um, but I give everyone all of our best. Blake and I, from Backbone Country, we say Merry Christmas to you. And let's say hello to Jack in Evergreen. Howdy, Jack. How's your new phone working? Yeah, I don't know. I went back to the old flip phone. I'm having trouble with it, too. I think me and the phones don't get along at all. But here's my thought. Yes, sir. Okay. We need to have somebody set up a national way of scoring all these colleges and universities with respect to how liberal and communists and socialists and woke they are and 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 something that that can be uh, some in some panel needs to figure it out because people like me that in the, in the later years in their life that put together irrevocable trusts with enough money to send grandchildren for generations to college i want to make sure that my hard money doesn't go to one of these liberal colleges and the reason why that's important it's because there's so many people like me that have done that. But when you're the settler of a trust, you can write in it the language that you want, and it's carried out by law. Hmm. And I want to make sure that none of the money that I've put aside to my great-grandchildren like that are used to one of these liberal universities. And there's an awful lot of people, particularly in Wyoming, people from all over the country, set their trusts up in Wyoming and Nevada. Jack, that is, a, think- that is a good point. That is a really good point. There should be like a ranking. Like U.S. News yes, and World Report yes, does the college yes. rankings every year. We should have another. Maybe maybe Heritage yes. would do it. Maybe the Claremont Institute would do it. I'm a Claremont grad myself. I know yes, yes. at least Cla- Claremont McKenna College has a bunch of really brilliant right, conservatives right. on the faculty there. Of course, I was over at Pomona, which you know we had our, our share of Marxist leftist nutcases who were right. very very smart we all got along great but i learned a lot about marxism there which which sure it never worked on me somehow jack it just never took well the but, thing they um, never teach the, the, the thing where they're silent on all communist and marxist regimes is there's one law it's crimes against the people when you consume more than you produce period and they don't tell you that none of these people know that and i can show you where you can read that on every communist and and, and socialist regime they don't permit you to consume more than you 
than, than you produce. It's not allowed. But they, they don't tell you that. They think it's utopia. Anyway, let, let's not get philosophical. I think there needs to be a standard on that. And then when somebody settles in the state and they put millions of dollars away for future generations, the settler can say no colleges or, or schools of higher education that don't meet this level are to receive funds from my, from my, uh, from my trust. So Curry. many of these, uh, the Ivy League universities, if you look at their endowments, I mean, yes. we're, we're talking tens of billions yes. of dollars. And I forgot the number. I want to say $58 billion for Harvard, but that might be a lot low. Yeah. Um, and well, Harvard's it, obviously taking a lot of heat right now. And, you know, yeah. it seems like, you know, the, it, the Ivy Leagues are, you know, they're, they're really taking a very yeah, strong stand on this Israel-Gaza situation, which is kind of surprising to me. Huh. Where'd that yes. come from? But, yeah, um, no, they, they need to pay attention, and this is the way to get their attention. Yeah. Okay, well, that's my thought. Okay, well, uh, Hill, Hillsdale is always the only one that's held up, but Claremont McKenna, um, Pepperdine. Yeah, yeah, But, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it's just a handful. I mean, the, the yes. academic faculty lounges are basically pure Marxist, Jack. That's where they that's, go. That's right, right, that's right. And we have to have a way of separating them out from our from our, our, our trust that we put forward for our kids' education. We have to have a way to do that. Yeah, it All might right, take man. some digging, and uh, you might not even be able to do a college. Maybe you could do something else. Like um, when they get out of college, there's something else, that's when the money arrives for them, so they can, <laughs> you know have a, a little leg up on the real world and overcome all of their Marxist uh, indoctrination. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. all right, my man. Merry Christmas all to right. you, Jack. Saddle pals. It's been wonderful. And if I'm back on the 24th, I'll be back. If not, I guess we won't. But uh, until then, saddle pals. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.